So last time we talked quite a bit about God working in his own way in order to bring about his plan of salvation. And Paul continues this thread into chapter 11. And he explains that God hasn't abandoned Israel for instead for the Gentiles. But like Elijah in 1 Kings 19, God has res- when he, God says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. If you're not familiar with that story, I recommend you go and read 1 Kings, I think it's 18, 19. And Elijah believes that he's the only man who still worships the Lord, but he's wrong. There are 7,000 in the nation who are still loyal to God. And Elijah had only seen the problem from his limited point of view, and God was quick to correct him. And so Paul corrects any misunderstanding in the Roman church that the Jewish people hadn't been abandoned, but that not all the Israelites would see God. So in chapter 11, verse 7, Paul writes, What Israel sought so earnestly it did not obtain, but the elect did. And this is continuing the theme of salvation being through faith and trust in the Lord. Israel wanted it too badly. They obsessed on working to find the best way around to salvation, and it slipped from their grasp. And I know that's not exactly what Paul is saying. He is stating that if you obsessively follow the rules... And for them, if you obsessively follow the rules and law of Israel, it is easy to miss the real heart of God, i.e. loving your brother, compassion, mercy, forgiveness to your enemies. And the Good Samaritan is a brilliant illustration of someone who doesn't have the law, but who is living instinctively in God's love. You know, versus those men who obsess about perfecting the law, but they miss what's right in front of them, like, you know, missing the forest for the trees. So look at Romans 11 verse 9 where Paul quotes David and David says in the Psalms, may their table be a stumbling block and a trap. It's the very thing that Israel so prides herself on having, so obsessed about following, made them blind to the heart of God. And so this is our first challenge for us to think about. Are there things in our life, both within the church and within our, you know, just our house and our community, that we get too caught up in? And if there are, then take it a step further and think about this specifically for Christian things. Are there things in Christian culture that we feel are of absolute importance, but might be blinding us to the heart of God? Obviously, if you think, well, praying to Jesus and the cross, those aren't the things I'm thinking about. And then Paul begins to switch his focus from Israel to the Gentiles in these next passages. And he makes the case that salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So read through Romans 11, 11 to 24. And just think, do you understand what Paul is saying for Israel? Do, and do his illustrations make sense? We see that Israel is the root of God's plan for the world through the Jewish nation We have his promises. We have Jesus' death and resurrection to fulfill the law and the prophets that came from the Jewish nation. We should not reject the Jewish people, but pray for them and long for them to see Jesus as he really is, the long-awaited Messiah. And he questions how much better for the world if the root of God's plan, those original branches of his tree, are brought back into the fold. And the final 11 verses of chapter 11 concern and theological mystery that Paul is mulling over. He notes that Israel's heart has hardened, in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's my translation. And we as non-Jews, we didn't get born into God's promise like Israel does. We gained it through the mercy and love of Christ. As Would it be any surprise to see God begin revealing himself 
and softening the hearts of his original people again. And perhaps that's something that we should be praying for, that the Jewish people would start coming back in. And Paul says in verse 32, God has bound all men to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. And, and I see this as because we chose to sin as humans. God has then said, right, well, humans have sinned. God has bound us all to that. And Paul expects God's mysterious plan to bring Israel back and to bring all the Gentiles in. And then from this point, he starts to give the Roman audience and then for us some practical applications as we live under this expectation. Chapter 12 is living sacrifices. It says, God's will is a mystery to us if we think on him in ways that are logical only in a physical or naturalistic and human sense. And Paul says to the church that they should offer their bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Not to just offer a bit of money once a week or say a prayer once a day or not do one particular thing. But consider all of your life, every waking breath, as being a dedication offered up to the Lord. Paul says in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. We won't be able to get an inkling of God's will is if our minds are not attuned to his spirit. And in Rome, like in ancient Greece, and like today, they idolised physical bodies. They used them for ritual pleasures. They used their bodies to satisfy gluttonous hunger and lust. Um, if you've ever heard of a bacchanal, a bacchanal is typically like an orgiastic party. That's They originated in Rome and Greece under the god Bacchus. And using the body to idolise certain things is not new. In 2020, we, we just don't view going out and drinking and taking drugs and sleeping around as being a religious ritual, but in many ways it is. We human beings give our bodies to the pleasures we feel we must give into, and that's idolatry in this old sense, and Paul wants Rome to know, and us today, that our bodies, every bit of our bodies, should be offered as a living sacrifice for the good work of the Lord. So take a moment and just ask yourself, how does that challenge you today? Are there things we give into because it is culturally okay and expected, but are in fact idolatrous? Because I'm sure there are. And then the next bit of advice is all to do with our own perspective on ourselves. In verse, no, we've got very far through this. In verse three, Paul says, "Don't think of yourselves more highly than you are." When our minds are renewed in Christ, it doesn't matter if we're, you know, more or less financially successful or physically fit or good looking than our brothers and sisters. We can see ourselves humbly as part of one body. And each of us, like a part of the body, has something different to offer, something different to use, which will benefit the church. And without that part of the body, it wouldn't work anymore. Without you, the church wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't work so well. And so read Romans 12, 5 to 8. Do you see yourself as one part of the body equally valued with a special place to help the rest of the church? Or have you ever thought you could do it all alone? Or have you ever thought, or have you been made to feel like you are not valued in the church body? So everyone has something to give. Everyone has a part to play. And God has never made anyone by accident. And everyone has something of worth to give the church. So get involved. Offer to help. Offer to serve. If you have knowledge, offer to teach. Offer to encourage. If you have lots, offer to give. And Paul then lists some very simple but invaluable functions for the church. Note he doesn't mention performing miracles or speaking in tongues or being the most charismatic. Aside from prophecy, 
which in a previous letter he has said helps the whole church. He wants the church to teach each other, serve each other, encourage each other and give to one another. And after that, he speaks about love. Paul says, don't just pretend to love each other. Really love each other. So we live in a world where there are countless songs since I've been alive, but in reality, since before my parents have been alive, that have been written and talk about love. They talk about being in love, love at first sight, love as a feeling, love as a passion. And love does encompass some of these. Not love actually encompasses all of these, but our culture's understanding of love is often extremely vapid and shallow. And even our church songs, if they are mirroring these things, they're using images and language that is vapid and shallow when describing the love of God, using bland emotional manipulation and vague words. Really loving someone looks like this. And if you look at verses 10 to 16, and I've written things down, it's genuine affection, delight in honouring others, working hard for one another, being patient with one another, helping those in need, being hospitable to one another, you know, coming alongside people, being happy when people are happy and being sad with people who are sad, living in harmony. And then this really tough one, blessing and praying for your enemies. Oh yes, even your enemies and those who hate you. And Jesus says in Matthew 5.44, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. If we are offering our every breath as a living sacrifice to God, we will be pursuing a life that is all about Jesus and looks more and more like him. We won't arrogantly try to defeat enemies who have injured our pride, but seek to do good for them and make friends of them. And we won't see in our colleagues and friends competition to be jealous of, but brothers and sisters whose lives and successes we can celebrate, whose happiness we can share, and whose failings and tragedies we can lament with and come alongside and comfort. And Romans 12, which starts with the challenge to be a sacrifice, ends with this verse. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give something to drink. Conquer evil with good. How has Romans 12 challenged you in your relationships and your community? Does it highlight aspects of your character that need to be offered to the Lord to be more Christ-like? Are there relationships with enemies we need to be humbly reconciled with? Where do we need to conquer evil with good?